You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer. How's everybody doing? I hope everybody enjoyed the ice storm this morning. Uh, I had a flat tire, so I spent the day getting that taken care of. I relearned how to replace the tire on my car, which I hadn't done in about four years. So that was a good, uh, excuse me, learning experience. I felt very manly after I completed that task. Uh, (laughs) And on that note, uh, I'm being joined once again uh, by Mr. Kevin Jones, who is uh, joining us via uh, phone from uh, his home in in, uh, Wayne. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderfully, and good evening to all the listeners. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we uh, you you were just here about two weeks ago, two three weeks ago, um, and now you're back. I think you are tied with uh, maybe one or two other people for most appearances on this show at this point. So, uh, congratulations on yeah. that. <laughs> so, I hi. thank you kindly. Oh, uh, H- hi, honor. Picture myself, leave it, and then I'll be on all of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> Well, um, the reason I'm having you on again is because um, I'd wanted to do a show like I want to started. I, I wanted to start doing shows about topics that I I'm not too well versed in, um, and uh, getting people on that are well versed in them and that are interested and are able to talk eloquently and poetically about said topics. Um, and uh, I've kind I guess I kind of d- have done that a couple times now, um, but. Uh, but this particular show is is going to be about uh, firearms, and uh, we're going to be talking about firearms. Kevin is a is a collector of firearms and uh, and an avid user, and uh, so we are going to uh, to that's what we're going to talk about. I do want to, and the, the the focus of this is I want to avoid the politics of it. I don't want to have to. I don't want the people to have to justify like like this is why I think that you know. I deserve. I I have the right to own one, and blah 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 blah. Anything like that. I just want to talk about why they're interesting and and what about them. Like before we got on the air, you said they are engineering works of art, which is exactly the kind of language that I want. You know, that's that's what I'm looking for. It's like the poetry of this particular. Because a lot of people don't consider that, right? You know, when it comes to guns, you know, a lot of people are afraid of them or whatever. Which I mean, I can understand that. I personally myself, you know, don't own a gun. Um, but I am interested mm-hmm. in the in the hobby, and so that's why I'm having uh, I'm having you on, and uh, so I'll jump right into the interview. And I'm, the first question is, how did you first get into firearms, man? Oh boy, um, I think the first time I ever really browsed a store, or at least I browsed one, and it stands out in my history. I was hanging out with. Brett Thurman, do you remember that cat? Uh, I don't think I ever met him. Was he part of the old uh, the the social circle that we that we were in? He, um, how would you say, he's like a comet, and he would be in one circle and then the other and just move <laughs> and yeah, like that. Like okay, all the, all the weird social celestial movements that happen in that odd bit of space. <clears throat> so he had uh, hung out with me one day, and we're kind of bumming around, and we ended up in a little shop. And just something about it got me. Um, the owner was more than personable. He was the kind of guy that would come up with things off the hip. Um, just a really genuine and uh, impromptu kind of person. Um, there were ashtrays like every seven feet. 
So I'm in there smoking a pack of Luckies, like looking at all these big, beautiful, perfect guns, and even the little ones are perfect too. And um, just kind of fell in love. I don't know that it started any sooner than that. Uh, how, how old would you have been at that point? Eighteen to twenty, somewhere in there. Okay. So that was kind um, of the that was the what sparked your interest is you were just hanging out with this uh, Brett guy and you were you were in a store and you and you were like hey I for some reason these really intrigue me and I I want to know more. Right. Well, you know, as a kid, you got your BB guns and Nerf guns and all that, and um, if you got a good screwdriver laying around the house, you're going to get into it and you're going to wonder how it works and what makes it work better and that kind of stuff, and you're going to try to pull your own do any little dark gun and you know kids don't. But uh, there I was on my way to being a man, and um, I saw a rifle and just fell in love with it and started squirreling away ones and fives and twenties for my doofy little busboy job until I had a giant sack of cash, and I got that rifle hands down. What? Uh, tell me about that rifle. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I would absolutely love to. <clears throat> it's a uh, Marlin 1895 guide gun in stainless steel so when i saw it it had porting at the end of the barrel which is these little holes they drill on it to control the muzzle climb on it um and that it was stainless i thought to myself man if i could just buy one gun you know this will last me my entire life and then so this is a good purchase i'm making sense right I'm talking myself into it you know what i mean yeah of course you need this one um <laughs> It's chambered in 4570, which is a uh, gorgeous, massive round that uh, is just steeped in history. Um, it's like a government round. And the word on the trails is that people originally came up with it because rangers were tired of shooting a bad guy and having him ride away. So they made a significantly larger round that would take him off of the horse. Oh my lord! So that that is the thing. And you said 1895. This gun was from. Uh, that's the original time that the gun was. They probably made one or two as they usually do, or a run of them um, the year prior. So if they made it in like 1894, and then they roll it out at 95, and they model 1895 is the idea. So this gun is um, much newer. It's like a reproduction of an older model. <clears throat> New runs, if you will. Okay. And this is, I got to say, man, like, sorry. (laughs) I should say I'm having, I I, I did not plan on it, but I uh, I had some Kraken, which is a type of rum, Mm -hmm. a particularly potent type of rum that Kate recommends. You're welcome. And and that and some root (laughs) beer. And I, I did not put, I put maybe like a, like a, not even a fingernail length in this, cup and uh and then so a can of root beer and and i am uh i'm feeling pretty good right now so uh well it's 94 proof it, it, like. i did not know that <laughs> will, one. Oh, you no, didn't it, read the bottle there's a big 94 on it <laughs> i love this stuff and it's the same price point as captain morgan is it um so bang for your buck yeah i mean if two dollars more maybe so you're really you're getting your get out of it and it's palatable it blends well it's quite the beverage. Nobody's paying me anything. I just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Me it's neither. Not sponsored. Right. <laughs> they right. should though. Uh, yeah. good, Please I call am me. over here with what do we got? It's a ten year aged bottle of port 
So I will be tugging on that whilst we communicate. All right, man. Cheers. Um, yeah, to, so uh, point uh, point being, there may be some uh, we made. You know, the the we'll, we'll get through this, man. We we got it. Um, but uh, oh yeah. So anyway, that first rifle, um, uh, you bought that. And it's so interesting too because two things. One, you were talking about it, and you're using all these terms that are just. And I'm trying to write them down so I can ask you about them, like the the size oh, of the round and all this stuff. And and I completely plead ignorance to the whole gun thing. Like I I, I find the hobby interesting. Um, I, like I said, I don't own any myself, but um, I don't know if it would be for me. But in, I do like listening to people talk about it. People that that uh, that know what they're talking about. Um, and and actually, what inspired this show is I me I went over to your place. Um, uh, I think that was in late December. Now, I believe it was. And uh, and you were showing me this uh, this shotgun that you kept that you had, and you were showing me how to reload it really quick and it, and and, and kind of simulating what the the um, the recoil would be. And, uh, yeah. and you, it was really interesting. It was like this really interesting little tutorial and it was completely impromptu. You didn't, you know, it was just something that we ended up doing. And I was like, I really want to have you on to talk about guns. So that's, that's where this uh, started. Um, and, uh, so well, getting back into it after you bought that rifle, you know, I mean, you, you take it shooting, you know, but then what, when did you start to collect them? I mean, was it soon after that or did you wait a while and just, <laughs> Because you said it would last you the rest of your life, right? So, yeah, yeah, pretty much until they stop making them. That'll probably never happen. So it's not. Um, I think maybe within a year, I picked up my first shotgun and first pistol, pretty promptly. Within a year, do you prefer yeah, rifle, rifles? Yeah, a year, year and a half. Do you prefer like rifles to, to handguns or one or the other? Or is it, you know, how does that work with you? Uh, boy, howdy. I try to spread it out and make sure that I keep the rust equally knocked off. So that is to say, within a year of the times I go to the range and I couldn't put it all on paper and figure out how many because it's very much like a, how busy is this week and what time can I carve out for it? Um, I would say two-thirds of the time it's pistols and the other third it's rifles and shotguns so that i can continue to drill myself in the ways that i do and make sure that i can operate the things that i own okay um look at my questions here uh what would you say i'll i'll, I'll go with this one next what sure. would you say to somebody who is not familiar with with firearms? Like, how would what would you say to them to get them interested in it, or to like sort of express like this is why I fell in love with them? Uh, let's see here. So, <clears throat> the thing that really makes me marvel at them, um, and this translates to a lot of things. I was thinking about this when I was breezing over the questions earlier today. Um, there's so many things in our life that we take for incredible granted. Um, and, uh, not the stone granted, uh, like your TV, like the million little LEDs that are doing everything they're supposed to do in there. So it comes up with this crisp picture of what's going on or your car. Like those are neatly contained little explosions. So you can toot down the road, not to mention all the other moving parts and the electrics that are in it. And it all does exactly what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. Um, ideally anyways. 
so then that transitions to firearms. What you have there is a moment in time where human beings figured out how to harness the the wild and incredibly dangerous power of fire and explosion to a point where they could throw a rock in and around where they wanted it to be. Um, and now what we can do with these is send it miles away, right on the nose of it. Um, and when you, you put it in perspective and you think back and you're like, okay, so at X point in time, we were all in a cave. It was damp. We didn't even have clothes. We were eating our meat raw until somebody figured out that we could not do that. You know, check this out. I cooked it. It's way better. It lasts longer. It's pretty all right. Um, so it's a far cry from that. It's like it is a milestone in human achievement in progress. Um, and that, you know, that in itself, like everyone should shoot one at least once. Just be there. Be there and experience what we've accomplished. It's, if someone offered you a ride to space, but you had some preconceived notions about space, you're like, nah, man, I don't really jive with space. Like, that, that's big, you know? That's an achievement. You should at least try it out once, probably. <clears throat> so you could probably have a little bit of the same majesty here on Earth just by shooting a gun. That's that's interesting, and I, I actually did look up a little bit of history. I, apparently, the first like sort of gun, uh, they weren't actually guns, but they used fire gunpowder to to use a, a uh, to propel a, a projectile at a, at mm-hmm. a, a, a target. Uh, where the, the Chinese invented them in in uh, the, in the year in the eighth century or the ninth century, somewhere around there. Um, I believe they're correct. Hand cannons and the ones that they kind of propped up with sticks right right <laughs> yeah yeah um so that that was i i mean i i did a little bit of research this morning and then those evolved into you know then i think they were in europe by the 13th century um yeah and uh and then the, that's when it really started to take off um and sort of evolve into what we know but even i mean even the the last hundred years i mean with automatic rifles and things it used to take you you know with the old blunderbusses and things and the you know, during the revolutionary war in that period, you'd have, it would take you a good, I mean, how long, a couple minutes at least to load the thing. And now you can be spraying God knows how many rounds a minute, you know, or a second or whatever. Uh, just right. because of, like you said, the technological, uh, uh, accomplishments that we've had. I was, I was looking at a tutorial today, this little gif on how a, um, or gif, depending on how you pronounce that, uh, uh, how it, the internals of it work and like the hammer cocking back and then this piece will reload the hammer at the, at the exact same time this other piece is sliding back and reloading the chamber and while kicking out the, the empty shell and uh, right. and it's all happening at you know within a second within a fraction of a second and it's all these moving parts that are that are uh, and like you said you compared it to a TV it's it really is an interesting piece of engineering um, it is a little ballet of mechanics yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> that is <laughs> ballet of mechanics oh man uh so many great lines um <laughs> but uh so like what's the biggest misconception about about guns then i suppose because that ties into the what would you say to somebody who's not familiar you said it's just like it's a technological marvel it's something that humanity mm-hmm. has accomplished and so you should at least 
try it, even if it, you don't have to like it, but you should you should try it because of what sure. it's taking to get here. So, what's the biggest misconception then? Would you say um, Hollywood makes a lot of those come into light? I would think the idea that well, the biggest one. I'll have to narrow it down before I just prattle off a list. So, hmm, uh, yes, yes, absolutely. The portrayed innate ability to just operate them, I think. And I don't think Joe Blow on the street thinks that he could just pick it up and run it, you know, but maybe part of him does because in any program you watch, like, I don't know, maybe perhaps it involves the zombies um, and people just snap one up off the ground who've never done anything except bake cookies or like, I don't know, put horseshoes on horses their whole life. They've never touched a gun and then poof, like, I nailed it. I've got headshots and I can run this thing like a train and, and drop the mag out of it and clear jams and all kinds of hot stuff. Um, nah, you need, you need time behind that trigger. You need to be comfortable with whatever it is. Um, I remember when I got my first pistol and even when I started renting one <clears throat> to shoot it, when I started shopping out what kind of caliber that I'd want, um, I was nervous, like inordinately nervous, overwhelmed by the moving parts, by the fact that I didn't know what they all did. Um, and I asked, I set everything down and I made sure it was clear and it was safe. It was on the bench. And I walked up to the counter and very sheepishly towing the floor, said, pardon me, can you show me how to operate this thing? And they gladly, of course, came back. They didn't give me any guff about being a total greenhorn about it and showed me what was up. And then it's just a matter of time, um, hour after hour, you get to understand that it's okay that the dangerous end is pointing exactly where it's supposed to be, downrange, and everything's very safe if you continue to run it the way you're supposed to run it. <clears throat> so the ease of use, I think, is the biggest misconception, followed closely on its heels by silencers making them incredibly silent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they... They don't make a sound, not whatsoever. They make a cute little, like, I don't know. It's some fake whistle. It must cost 13 cents to use because everyone uses the same sound. And it don't quite work like that. Yeah, you see that. You, now that you mentioned that, um, even not knowing much about guns. And another thing that they don't really uh, portray is the damage that getting shot yep. really does is like a guy will have like three bullets in him. The hero, you know, the hero will be taking out the henchman with one shot apiece. And then he'll get shot right. five times and still be moving. And it's like, no, that's you get shot once and you're done. Oh, isn't it a treat? Yeah, the heroes always plugging people and they'll catch like one of the sides. Ah, and they're down. They're on the ground. That's it. It's over. They're not even twitching. They aren't like pulling out their phone and texting their sweetheart or deleting <laughs> their browser history. They're just <laughs> dead. But meanwhile, you know, John Ham Sandwich is just like, I got this. <laughs> He's made a hole. He's got duct tape and wishes holding them together. You're entirely correct. That too. Don't get shot. It's you will have adverse effects. <laughs> well, so how long did it take you before you were like comfortable then with with going in and like knowing? I mean, I imagine it starts out the process in a, in in a to a degree would start over whenever you get a new gun. But like, how long yeah. did it sort of take you to where you're like, I can, I at least know where to start. Um. Today, if I bought a new gun, um, 
three minutes max of eyeballing it, and then without any ammunition in and around the firearm, like two minutes of doing the action, not even, and you're like, all right, got this thing. Really? So um, five minutes total then? Yeah. Um, and shorter than that, that to be, like if I bought something I never ran anything like, like the, and this, you know, being something that isn't really your particular wheelhouse, um, there's these short little defense weapons and they're like the size of what you would think a submachine gun is when you think submachine gun for video games. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're classed as pistols, but they have little stocks on them. They're strange little curveballs of firearm fantastic. Uh, there's not many affordable ones of that. And I look forward to the day when I can snap one up. However, um, they're not the usual weapon system. They are and they aren't. Um, some of their actions are in different spots. Uh, I would just have to get used to where everything's at. Once you know where all the things are, you're, you're good to go. Just need to give it a quick look over, compare it to your previous knowledge. So in that, um, my first time shooting, I'd say <clears throat> I was at like a 70% comfort level at the end of a month going twice a week. Oh, wow. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's, is that a lot or is that, uh, is that moderate amount or like, I mean, it sounds, sounds like that's a good amount, you know, to, to be uh, amount of time to be putting into it. Right. I would think, uh, if you were, if you were trying to make it something you could do confidently every time that that, to get your feet wet and to establish, um, like modes of operation and, uh, muscle memory. That's a really, that's average amount of time. How much, like, would you recommend for somebody who is, like I said, just starting out or uh, doesn't really have, like, is a greenhorn, um, you know, if they wanted to, if they were just kind of dipping their toe into it, what would be, like, once a week, you know, like, what would you say? Yes, <clears throat> I think um, once a week probably the, <laughs> you know, the magic bullet for that kind of thing <laughs> in, that, uh, in that you don't have to parcel out a lot of your time. You're going to go for a half hour, an hour. Uh, it's not going to interrupt so much of your day or your plans. So you feel like you're giving your life up to learn something new, but in the same moment, you're you're getting in there. And that's what it's about. It's about the jitters. Um, that's where I started. I just inordinately nervous. I'm like, man, I'm going to do something wrong. It's not going to work. What do I do if it doesn't work? What do I do You know, if I can't figure out how to open this thing or release this thing? I'm going to look like a dupe. But that passes pretty quickly, and then you have to get over the, man, this thing's pretty loud, or, wow, this kind of slaps back in my hand. Um, but then again, you continue to work on your mechanics and your comfort. <clears throat> it's like an exposure sort of thing at that point. Like, um, I imagine like a glass blower is not wildly bothered by walking very close to a campfire, you know, because he's mm-hmm. sitting there right in front of his thing all day just, I'm good. It's hot. Fire's hot. Just don't put your face in it. Put your face <laughs> near it. That kind of thing. So there you are with your dainty, contained, managed explosion in your hand, and it's doing what it's supposed to do. The first time, you're like, wow, that blew up. That made things blow up. And it was an arm's length away from me. And that is spooky. It's okay to say that's spooky. It's not, you know, it's not a negative thing at all. It's odd. It's foreign. What is your fondest memory 
of uh, that involves shooting guns? Oh wow! Oh, so many of them. Um, wheel. I would say there was uh, like a trip. There was a trip up north for a gentleman's bachelor party, and the the whole thing was really just sort of a dude's hangout weekend. It wasn't like a let's do overly do things or go to the bar. It was like, no, I've got a cabin and we'll just go spend some time and we'll all hang out largely in this, um, in this pole barn and just figure the days out day by day. It was quite a trip. It was lovely. Um, I dragged everything I had at the time and I put all the candy in a crate, all the bullets in one crate, which looking back, uh, you know, my wisdom now is different. I would have taken less bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I would, have, I would have taken less bullets because I chewed them up real nice. <laughs> but I got to, um, yeah, this is this is a couple fold. I'm really glad you asked that, and I'm really glad this was my answer because I got to show some people who do not handle them on a regular basis what kind of fun, what kind of confidence, um, and what kind of peaceful in the moment. Pay attention to the objective. Pay attention to the task kind of zen you can get from that um and i pulled off one of the more fun shots that i've managed to do um we were out and they had this big old dirt burn at the end of this guy's field or i should say probably in the mid 300 yards away and change maybe and i have uh a 1917 winchester it's a bolt action uh chambered 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 in 30-odd six, and it's from the First World War. And I took this rifle, and I shot a milk jug full of water on a table the 300 indiscriminate yards away um, with my sights at zero. So they leveled out completely like the target was supposed to be two feet away from me. Hmm. Um, standing up, just like I was telling you at the time. Uh, and I made that first shot and my life kind of changed. And I was like, you did that. Like you, you did that. You took a moment, you took a breath and you hit that thing. So I hit the milk jug. It did what you think it would do. It threw its water all over the joint as much as I could see from that distance. It's, uh, like a fall afternoon. So everything's got that gray blue color, you know, very Highlands atmosphere with greens and grays and soft hues. And then there's that little white milk jug, and it, it spins, and it lands on its side on the table. And I was like, how about it? <laughs> um, and being, being a lefty and working a bolt action is kind of weird. So I dropped the rifle to my hip as far as the end of the stock, and I rolled the bolt. And I snapped it back up to my shoulder. It took about two seconds, and I hit it again. And I spun the jug, and it stood back up. So in in... An incredible amount of restraint. I managed to hang on to my shit, as it were. But the other three shots in the internal magazine, I couldn't tell you where they went because I was just too damn excited. <laughs> and how long had you been had you been at it by at that point? Like, Say again? How, how long had you had like the gun hobby at that point? Like, how long had you been shooting? Ooh, let me see. Uh, it was twenty five or twenty six at the time. 
So a good, a good so, seven, eight years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Better part of a decade. Um, Absolutely. But that, so you said that was like a turning point. You were like, holy shit. Like I actually, like that was a good shot. Like I'm actually talented at this. I have talent with this now. Right. You know, I, I'd had moments at the range where I continued to dot the same dot or, um, I do a lot of drills where I, um, practice on, uh, reloads or reloading magazines with, uh, random amounts of rounds in them so that I surprise myself. I'll put them in the range bag and mix them up and put them on the table. So I don't know which one's which and then shoot until they run out, pick up the next one and shoot until they run out and that kind of stuff to keep it fresh. So you're not always, this magazine has 18 rounds in it. I will shoot 18 rounds. Um, you know, I think it's important to take yourself out of the box so that you don't get so comfortable with a particular firearm that you come back to the day that you started with it, where you just picked it up and assume, you know? Uh, how has your military career factored into this? Did you notice a like market improvement like you, after you joined um, or did it, did it stay pretty much the same? Like, what would you say about that? Uh, I would say it has helped my overall patience at the range because once you spend like a week and a half going to the same place, shooting at the same thing with the same rifle in a really ugly amount of heat and a lot of gear, you get to a point where you're like, well, I just have to make this thing work. It's not about how tired I am. Uh, and it's not about if I want this to happen. It's because I have to make it happen. So there's discipline that goes into that, that translates really well, that you might not pick up unless you spent a lot of time at the range on the civilian end. Um, and there's some little hot tips that they teach you about where to hold the rifle and where to put your uh, your cheek on the rifle and that kind of thing to make sure that you have the same sight picture every time and that, um, depending on what firearm you're using, it makes a very large difference as well. <laughs> yeah, another thing that you said to me uh, when I was hanging out with you, um, which is sort of related to that, what it's, you said like the little the tips that they give you is um, – no matter how, however good you are on the range or just, you know, when you're out doing it or practicing, you are 40% mm -hmm. of that max in a battle, which I is, I mean, makes perfect sense to me, but it was just one of those things that I didn't, you don't think about. It's like, you're not it, all your training, you know, in, in, no matter how much of it you can remember, you're going to be thinking your, your bodily, um, you know, instincts or whatever are going to be overriding any sort of thought processes that you have. And you're going to have to tamp them down in order to access those thought processes that you've you've trained yourself to to access, and uh, so that was really interesting because that's the thing is like these things were designed. That's what they're for. They are they are war weapons. You know, not not all right. of them. A lot. Some of them are for are for killing and for getting food. You know, they're tools. Right. That's what they are first. But their their purpose is to 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 inflict life ending damage on other living organisms. And, uh, so that was a very, like I said, I mean, that was over a month ago now. And I remember you saying it, I just, it just came to me now. So, uh, that, that was very interesting as well. The 40% in battle. It, um, it holds true. Um, and it's on the individual, um, it's on your mental discipline, but 
when everything about a situation falls apart in front of you. Um, and you have to rely on reflex. If you spend enough time with your particular weapon system, then your reflex is good to go. Um, but it's still, you know, that's in those microseconds, the, the tiny heartbeat moments where you're trying to figure out what to do to make whatever the problem might be not be a problem anymore. Um, you're fighting all of that terror and everything else about your body that says run or says shit yourself or lay down or, or, or go to sleep. It'll be fine if we all just go to sleep. Um, and you're, you're operating a firearm. So the more practice, the better, the, the better your overall percentage. Like if you can say to yourself and you wouldn't want to, because it's dangerous, I could run this thing with my eyes closed and cool, you know? The day you have to do it with your eyes open, when your whole world turns up upside down, you you might have a better chance of things not being poorly. Right. So it's it sounds like it's it's like anything else, you know. Like I'm th- I'm sitting here, I'm I'm listening to you talk about it, and if I didn't know what you the specifics of it, um, it could be you could be talking about learning guitar. Like for me, it was just you know how long you know exactly. it's, there's certain parts of it that are scary, like getting up in front of people and doing it, and the technical yes. aspects of it. There's a ton of tech that you can get into with the, the actual moving parts of the thing. And it takes right. a long time and, and it, it takes hours of, of time spent and put into it to master or at least get familiar enough to know what you're doing with the object. So that's, I mean, that could, I mean, it should have been obvious to me is what I'm saying <laughs> as far as no, that, that comes <laughs> really well. Cause if you can imagine something going bad with your guitar, but it's something that's gone bad before, and you know how to unscrew the situation mm-hmm. and you have to do it with a couple hundred people. Like, yeah, I, those tensions are comparable. I've been blessed enough that when I was in a situation where someone met me bodily harm, um, I either did not have a firearm on me. So it did not have to get to any kind of point like that. Or when I did, regardless, I've still used my words and other facilities to deescalate. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that that train continues. So in the meantime, I still train. What is the uh, biggest gun you've ever fired? Cause you, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the size of these guns varies, you know, you got the little handguns all the way up to, I mean, you know, anti, anti-aircraft <laughs> guns. What's the biggest one you've Perfect. ever fired? Uh, the biggest in terms of overall length or the bullet that it hooks or which, uh, probably, we'll say the biggest round, like the biggest, the, the biggest projectile. Okay. Uh, my brain. So the biggest projectile by the numbers would be, frankly, it's a shotgun slug. Um, people heavily underestimate that. Um, it's like a 73 caliber. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's like civil war and change, you know, because they were 68s, I think. Um, so 73 is a big one. Um, but, as far as wallop, uh, I've shot a bear pistol that has 454 Casul coming out of it. That's just the odd duck name of the round. And it left my hand in a way that makes me not want to shoot it. Really? Um, yeah, it's a treat to shoot. Um, it is raw power, but it is contained. It's where it's supposed to be, but you still feel it. It's got this big squishy grip on it, and the barrel has little holes in it at the end, so it's supposed to go down and 
it just comes straight back into you. Like you just held your hand open and you're like, your big brother came up and was like, what's up dork? And just punched you in the hand as hard as he could. How many times did you fire that thing then? If, Cause you said it was to the point where you're like, I don't, I don't want to fire this again. <laughs> uh, it's like a once a year shoot or less. Uh, over the life of me having owned the firearm, I've probably put less than a hundred rounds through it. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's yours. You, you own that gun? I do indeed. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> what, so what, that, this ties into that then. What is your favorite gun that, that you, that you like to shoot? That I like to shoot? Um, I like six guns. I like revolvers and the single actions, the old school ones. They get me right to heart. Um, something about, the action is really pleasant. Um, pulling the hammer back is really smooth. And after you've shot it, um, the recoil is such if you aren't particularly stiff in the wrist. Uh, the gun rides up a little bit, and you can just kind of roll your thumb up and snap the gun back down in its top. Um, they're just a treat. <laughs> do you, how often do you... They're just a treat to shoot. How often do you get to, uh, do you, have you ever, you know, like fanned the hammer? Because I know you're capable of doing that. I've seen you do it with an unloaded gun. Um, right. Do you do that at the range at all, or is that something that's kind of frowned on? Ranges are not too happy about rapid-fire situations most of the time. Um, you can find people that are okay with it uh, as far as locations. Sometimes it's like three rounds apiece and then X seconds between. Uh, most people are one second between rounds, so you're hard-pressed for it. Um, I have snuck it in once, I think maybe two or three rounds and was like, that was nice. Um, when I had land enough and knew what was behind and beyond all the land, et cetera, et cetera, to legally shoot, um, I definitely practiced that in the backyard and it's a hoot. Yeah, that was, uh, cause I remember the, it was on a film shoot and Bob Keith, who the listeners know now cause he was on with you the last time you were here, um, it was Franz and Bob were talking about, it and and we, you were firing the gun at this unloaded gun at a at a uh, an enemy, uh, an alien, as it were, in the movie, and uh, yeah. and you were like, and and Bob was like, hey, you know what would be cool is if he fanned the hammer, and, and Franz was like, oh, I don't know, and Bob was like, trust me, you want to see him do it, and and it, it was, ended up being a really, it ended up being a really cool looking shot. Um, so it, I, I've it, always it wondered, what's that? <laughs> It turned out pretty all right. I believe it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to find my – I'm taking notes here as I write. Uh, I'm to find my next question. Um, so I guess you kind of you already got into this, but, like, you know – how am I going to say this? I can barely read my writing. Uh, Don't oh, you worry. I got something in the pipe if you need me to fill. Oh, well, actually, you know what? Fuck it. Like, why don't you why don't you do that, man? I'm going to decipher what I wrote here, but uh yeah, go for it. You go ahead and do that. There's two historical well, to say that there's only two historical guns that grab my fancy in such a way that I need them in my life at some point is uh a farce. <laughs> but there's two that come to my mind immediately. The first being one that could have changed the entirety of history or at least a good portion of it. It's invented by a man called James Puckle, called the Puckle Gun. And it's an odd duck. 
And all those real weird ones that were ahead of their time or they're innovative, like they look at where guns are and they take three and three-quarter steps to the left and do something completely different, I appreciate and applaud that bravery. I like supporting it and more so having perused some of firearms history. I know how fast they drop off the map. People don't really care for that. They like their comfortable little improvements. They don't like stuff that just, what is that? Why is it over there by itself? What is it doing? Um, and that was very much the case with this. So I have the date pulled up. Let me see. Jump into my browser here. It was patented in 1718. So what you have here, this gun is on a tripod. It is operated with a crank. It still loads, um, I suppose you can call it a breech. It's like a black powder firearm. Of course, it had to be at the time. And it was made for ships. It was to stop people from boarding. But its capabilities were probably greater than that, as it's a 32-millimeter projectile, which is pretty honking big. Um, that's a little bit, or a little bit, I guess, unheard of at the time to have something run by a crank that could fire up to 11 rounds, bang, 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 bang. The other guys wouldn't know what to do with themselves, and it's marketed to be on a ship. But nobody picked it up. Everyone looked at it and said, that's cumbersome. It's complicated. I don't know. It's just kind of awkward. You know, I like this one. It shoots one shot, but it does it when I know it's supposed to, and it's the one I own, and I I know it. But can you imagine... He just didn't get enough investors to make it a real thing. If one particular nation at the time said, yeah, that's actually pretty rad, young master puckle. Bring him on down. And he starts cranking them out. Next thing you know, Spain rules the entire oceans. Or maybe six pirate buddies got together and were like, you know, puckle, that's a pretty sweet guy. And they all pitched in. <laughs> yeah. And then pirates have the sweetest weapon in the history of 17, what? What we got? You know, 17, 18. It's over. Thanks. Good night. There are seas now. Stay on your continents. Um, but it didn't happen. And those are fun. Those are fun hypotheticals. Yeah, that's really the interesting. Other, that's that's pre-revolutionary. I mean, he came up with the machine gun, essentially, it sounds like. Absolutely. Before the Revolutionary War. I mean, yeah, that would have changed. Who knows what sort of leaps in technology would have been made by now, too. You know, in terms of how, oh, yeah. you know, Kalashnikovs would have been invented in the 1800s. How would the Civil War have oh, gone? Yeah. You know, how would the world, it what would the world wars have looked like? Um, you know, someone out there is running a and d campaign of alternate history about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I deciphered what I wrote. Um, I, the word that I couldn't come up with was appealing. That was, I'm, I, I, that really threw me for a loop there. I really got to slow down when I write, write my questions. No uh but uh, my, the question is, it's what, what exactly is, I, like I said, you kind of already went into this, but um, as far as like what's appealing about these, these weapons and what made you want to own multiple ones of them? Like why is it just, I mean, it's, I guess it's like collecting anything else where it's like I want to have as many variations on this as I can have um, just because I enjoy the, the art of it. Um, but uh, right. I mean, what, what say you to that? Um. Like the comic book example I used earlier for the idea of a reproduction, um, in and of themselves, they're all different comics. 
So even if you had Spider-Man 28, Spider-Man 29 is fighting a different villain. It's got different artwork. It's an entirely different piece. So it isn't that I own a lot of guns at the same run, like buy a manufacturer, the very next model. It's basically the same thing. They change the grip a little bit. It's got ambidextrous magazine release, et cetera, et cetera. That is not the case for me. That is the case for some people. Brand loyalty exists. Um, but they're all unique, largely. And I don't really pick them up indiscriminately. I wait until I find something that strikes me. So much in the same way, if I was to bop up to the local comic store, I wait until something's cover art grabs me or something in the title or it's an, it's an illustrator that I know that I've seen do some incredible work. Um, and then in the gun case, I pick it up. I work the action. I think to myself, how exceptionally smooth this action is. That'd be nice, you know? And then I start looking at the other functions. Um, I had just regaled someone the other day with what I consider to be the golden age of department store rifles and guns, shotguns, that kind of stuff. There's a point in time well, for a long time, it was the standard that uh, every gun, a lot of its internal workings were hand-fit because um, mass production wasn't quite what it is now. So you talk about a custom piece, you know, and they didn't run a price point that a custom piece ought to. They just ran what a firearm was priced at the time. But you'd have uh, handwork in the stock, in the checkering. It was all hand-checkered. It wasn't hand. It wasn't checkered by, uh, by machine. Um, you'd have these little inlays before the rubber on the, on the buttstock and they'd be just this little thin wisp of white. And over time, they age and they start to look like ivory. It is just the plastic of the time, but they, they pick up age with them. Sometimes even depending on the home that they've been in, if they're used, um, they get different hues of yellow. Um, they took time to carve things into the buttstock, into the, into the ends. Sometimes they were plastic or metal. And it would be like the manufacturer's cartouche. Um, and that's not only can you not buy guns in a department store anymore. I couldn't roll down the Sears and pick up a shotgun to save a life. But um, they don't do that anymore. They just are what they are. You know, you go to the store and the 870 looks like the 870. Uh, the Mossberg 500 looks like the Mossberg 500. Remington 700 looks very much like itself. You may choose from the people you order from different types of furniture uh, that is plastic or wood and they have their presets but uh, unless you get into some of the higher end dollar amounts there's some Italian gun makers that still hand fits and stuff that's really not the case so there's an art there that's gone um, and that to me is appealing the uh, yeah, that's interesting. The individuality it sounds like has sort of been lost. And I mean, that's true with a lot of things. You know, I mean, mass mass production has changed how. Like I said, guitars. Even you know, I mean, it used to be each guitar was mm-hmm. handmade. And I mean, they, like I said, just like you, and you get into higher price range, you can still do that. But for the most part, right. everything is it's it's exact. You're you're looking on the shelf, and it's the same same thing over and over and over again with slight variations and you know color or whatever. Um, yeah. What's a gun? Sure. What's a gun that you that they don't make anymore that you wish you could uh, try out? 
Oh, all right. Yeah, this is that's great. This is my other historical pick. Uh, it's the volcanic pistol. So the ammunition, and I could be entirely wrong, and I bet someone's going to correct the daylights out of me, but the ammunition and the powder and everything else was tucked very neatly um, behind the lead plug. And I don't know that it was caseless, um, but they were definitely different. Uh, it's a tiny little lever-action pistol uh, with, like, a big brass frame. Uh, and this little looped ornate lever that was basically your trigger guard and your lever for the thing. And it, um, it looks like, well, this might besmirch it, but I don't think anyone is around of that particular dynasty to be mad about it. It looks like something that if you polish it up nicely, you could set it out with your tea set, but <laughs> you know, it was made and I've got that one pulled up too. That is the 1848, they came out with the rifle. So somewhere just past that, they've got the pistol. And they're just oddballs. I really like them. And they're called volcano guns? Uh, Volcanic. 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 And why why, why do they use that name? Not a clue. (laughs) They just picked... The Volcanic Repeating Arms Company was what it was called, formed in 1855. Oh, so it was just just the name. It wasn't like the type of... I was was picturing, like, I'm like, what does it shoot, like, chunks of lava or something? You know, like, what what could the... What's the The difference? The lead gets so hot, you ain't gonna like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can dig it. So, uh... What is, and you kind of brought this up earlier, but like what, you, with the, the it was a Puffle, the, the, the guy's name with, with an F, or was it uh, Pubble or something like that? Puckle, like a hockey puck, Puckle. Oh, Puckle, see, yeah, see, I, yeah. I had, uh, that's that's like the most, you know, innocent sounding, that sounds like a dog on a on a child's t- TV show, you know what I mean? Like that that's name. It, like, come here, Mr. Yeah, exactly, and then this guy invents this fucking deadly. It's a gun that's so deadly, people are were kind of freaked out by it at the time, and they're like, "We're not ready for that. We we like our cannons." Yeah. Um, yep. But uh, what is the future of guns? Like, what do you see happening with with guns in the next century or so? I mean, with all the technological leaps that we've made in the past century, starting with World War One, where is it going? So I think I'll start this in a slightly contrary way and tell you what I believe to not be the future of firearms. Um, Tapeless ammunition on the whole. Um, There have been a few, and they never go anywhere. Where they put them, and they're they're awesome. I love them because I I love the weirdos. But some um, use an electric charge to fire the cases off. And that's great in how you would call a controlled environment, a vacuum, but you could not count on something with that intricate of a design, regardless of how basic you engineered it, to continue to do what it's supposed to do, um, because steel doesn't fail the way that could, I guess, is the long and the short. Um, and what's the other one? The very, the very sci-fi, like, round counter, like the side of your gun tells you exactly what's left of the magazine. I saw an advert for uh, like uh, a little a bit that comes off the back of the slide of a Glock, and 
snaps back on there and it tells you how many rounds you're left in and you know what the temperature's like outside and all kinds of cute little jets and shit. Um, but it is impractical. Um, it is a novelty. I don't see it going that way. What I could imagine being a thing, let me see. So, in the civilian market, I think you're going to see things move away from the AR. That's where everyone was at for, I couldn't even tell you how many years now. It's like the grown man's Lego set. Everyone wants to put one together and they want it to be theirs and it's going to have all the parts they want and they buy different pieces from different people. Some guys even machine their own. Um, Then not too long ago, I started seeing the same thing, but they kind of revamped the platform so it looked very Buck Rogers. It was like super space-time, something about the skeletonized end, and they changed the way that attachments lock on, which is a good innovation. Um, but I see less of those in the store now, too. I think the fascination with the just the AR, AR-15 or whatever the hell you'd like to call it, is going to wane. Um, I think, overall, I see a lot of innovations being accepted more in guns more than they used to be, which is exciting. So I don't know if people thought that things were getting stale. I don't know that anyone really outwardly thinks these things to begin with, other than us when we're talking about it. Uh, but subconsciously, they're excited to see something new. So I think the more people that continue to come up with, and sorry, Puckle, like if you were up here in 2019, we'd lose it. Um, <laughs> that come up with really genuinely innovative things for firearms, they're, they're going to be very successful. Um, whatever gun shop I stop in now, and probably because it's a big ticket item, like they can make some duckies off of it, but I think bigger than that, um, because it's been so long and we just did it, there is a pump-action double-barrel shotgun, which, if you watch cartoons, has been around forever. <laughs> but here in in real life town, it has, but it is now, which is incredible because a, a side-by-side shotgun is ancient. Like, it's been a moment. It's been around for a hot minute. Several generations of people. And just now, someone was like, well, hang on, because pump actions are real, and side-by-sides is real, and then boom, here we are. So, they're out there. You can buy them. The future, and it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what are you looking forward to personally? Like, is there anything that you've seen in a store or anything? I suppose besides the double pump action shotgun, um, that's gotten right, you right. excited. There is a gorgeous little beauty that I'm waiting. Someone's gonna have it, and they're gonna get tired of looking at it. I'm gonna snap it right off that used shelf so fast that everything in the store spins around twice. <laughs> it's called the Kiapa Triple Threat. So it's like a double barrel shotgun, but it's got three of them. <laughs> Like access to the max, you know. Yeah. Why? Goes to eleven. Because yeah, it's because we can. Yeah, it goes to eleven. So I want that because that's sweet. Um, and it's just another one of those oddballs that they're going to run it until they run it, and they're going to stop because they ain't going to sell that many. Um, I would like to get one of those short little personal defense weapons. Um, I think they're pretty rad. I think it would be fun because it's like a new platform to drill myself on. So 
I suppose that's the appeal there. It's something I haven't mastered yet, so I'd like to get in on that. All right, man. Well, believe it or not, we are actually, uh, it's been an hour uh, just about, and we, nice. are, we are wrapping up here. Right yeah, so uh, thanks for coming on again, man. Like I said, you're tied for, uh, you've been on three times now, so, um, and, and all in the past, uh, you know, I mean, you were on the for the first time in August, so. Um, I'd like to do this again. I have other friends who are gun enthusiasts and it would be cool to have, to come in and have a, a discussion, but, um, thanks for, okay. uh, thanks for coming on and getting us all acquainted, uh, with the, t- with the topic. My absolute pleasure to be here. Cool, man. Well, um, and, and I will, uh, hopefully see you in real life as well. Uh, at some point in, in the near future, um, we'll, uh, we'll hang out, uh, but uh, everybody else, I will be back next week, uh, usual time. I'm having uh, Raina Mystique and her husband, Mike, who uh, hosts the podcast We Speak English Good. Um, they're coming up from Toledo, and uh, they're going to come in and talk about their music and their podcasting and uh, probably an array of other topics. So very much looking forward to that. Um, I will be in next week. Kevin, thank you one last time. And uh, this has been American Wine.